Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. This is this is a fun one for me. This is going to be quite a thrill for me, and we'll get into why. There's a lot of reasons why, but we are going to do a real interesting deep dive into leadership, into mentorship, into coaching and onboarding with one of the great coaches, period, in American history, Valerie Condos Field, who just retired as the women's gymnastics coach at UCLA. I've been looking forward to this for for many, many weeks, and I'm very, very excited. Before we jump into that conversation, I just want to invite everyone, please check out the website for Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. You can find me on email, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. I love interacting with people and learning about things that are resonating, things we can do differently or do better to make the show exactly what you want it to be. You can find Explore the Space on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Please find us there. Please subscribe and please leave a rating and a review. That's a great place for other people to find this show or any other podcast that you like when they're looking for for good content. That's a really important thing to do. So anytime you can leave a rating and a review, it's always much appreciated. This is going to be really, really cool. We have a seven-time national champion head coach, a 15-time Pac-12 champion head coach joining us. Valerie Condos Field was at UCLA. She had one of the great careers in coaching in any sport at any level ever. She is just retired. Her final meet was a couple of weeks ago. It's a real thrill to have her. Coach Val, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I Just hearing and learning about everything that you do is not just so important, but it's, it's really inspiring. To hear that from you is incredibly meaningful <laughs> because I've actually been tracking your career, as I told you before we started recording, for a long time. When I was an yeah. undergrad at UCLA, I was a sports writer for the Daily Bruin. You were the coach at UCLA at the time, and your teams were really good. And one of the seasons that you won a national championship, 1997, I got to interview you. You interviewed me after that was our first yeah. UCLA history. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, so and cool. Carrie Strug was here. That's right. That's when Carrie Strug was here, and now, twenty-two years later, we're back. And we're as back. I, as we joked about before we started recording, I can't imagine a longer gap between interviews for really anybody. It's twenty-two <laughs> years apart. I love it. And let's do it again in twenty-two. That's years. right. Exactly. Twenty-two years from now, we'll do it again. That's right. Good. All right. We have a lot to cover. One of the cornerstones of Explore the Space, though, is we spend a lot of time looking at and learning from people who know how to lead. And we have talked with physicians. We have talked with administrators. We have talked with military officers. We've talked with three-star generals and Navy SEALs. You do this work. You have been a leader at the highest level for so many years. And I want to step through some of this work with you. One of the places that I want to start, though, is I want to start, because we could start anywhere, and we we could boil the ocean. You and I could do a 10-part series, and it wouldn't be enough. But I want to start with one of the dynamics of college sports that I love, and that you obviously figured something out, is your team is always changing. Your players graduate, your, your, your gymnasts graduate, or they transfer, or they go pro, or whatever the case may be. You're always bringing new people on. Somehow you were able to maintain connective tissue. You were able to maintain a central dogma that people could buy into and and follow. Mm-hmm. 
how did you how did you conceptualize what that would be and how did you start to build it in over the course of many many years you asked a really good question um <laughs> thank you well it was your your verbiage is is awesome uh that's how they train us you know UCLA. i came into this i came into coaching never having done gymnastics so not being in a world of athletics and <clears throat> i was a dancer ballet dancer and because UCLA can attract some of the most best talent in the world, we've always had very elite gymnasts come to UCLA, student athletes. And I got here in 1982, and one of the first things that I realized was the better the recruit, the better the athlete was that came into our program, the the least she was confident voicing her opinion she had no voice wow and you look at just the nature of the sport um gymnastics first of all it's it's difficult it's a very difficult sport and gymnasts have to learn how to focus it's extremely hard at an extremely young age plus <clears throat> a lot of these athletes were, were coached by eastern european coaches and that's how they were coached growing up. So growing up in the world of gymnastics, it used to be you didn't have a voice. They didn't want you to have a voice. Just do what you're told, train hard, learn hard skills, and compete well. That was it. And they came to, to UCLA, and I would ask them questions with their, pertaining to their training because I didn't know what they should be doing on balance beam, how many routines they should do to prepare for a meet. I had no idea. But when I asked them what they thought, they thought it was a test. And they would get in trouble if they answered. And so early on in my career here, I realized that one of the things that I needed to do was help these young, amazing athletes realize that they're more than just their athletic ability and that they needed to take ownership of who they are, of their training, of their athletic goals, and have a voice and a say in it. And um, <clears throat> I think that's one reason why people always have told me that our team is very diverse and that I celebrate each of them as individuals because I really encourage them to find their own unique personality and develop it how they want to. Was that an intentional leadership choice for you? Because as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you're retired now. So awesome. We're going to get you to come and start doing physician and physician leadership coaching, because what you just described, this idea of helping people who are incredibly focused, incredibly talented, under tremendous pressure, especially in training, learn to express themselves in a meaningful way, learn to feel engaged and connected. This is what we're doing with our teams. This is what we're doing in medicine is trying to figure out exactly what you just described, stepping over those barriers. So for you as a coach, was this something that was intentional? Was this something that you figured out? Or did you have mentorship that helped helped you develop that leadership technique? Um, it was intentional. Yeah. And it was something that I saw very clearly. But I kind of, I floundered a bit, especially when I was asked to be the head coach in 1990, uh, because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and honestly, it was <clears throat> reading and digesting Coach Wooden's definition of success. Yeah. 
success is peace of mind, which is a direct result in knowing you've done your best. And it just hit me that I just need to do me the best way possible. And with proper intention, I will be able to help develop champions through the sport of gymnastics. And in 2004, I think it was, we'd won four championships in five years. And the LA Times did a piece on me and Coach Wooden. And the reporter said, you know, Miss Val, you're, you're becoming the next John Wooden. And before I could guffaw and say, you know, that's just blasphemy, um, Coach chuckled and he said, why would she want to be another John Wooden when she can be a great Valerie Condos Field? Oh, my. And it was, so yeah, cool. it was this, this release of yeah. not having to posture that I, like any other coach, and just being me. He gave me permission just to be me and do it my way and prove that with proper intention, good work ethic, <clears throat> and a growth mindset, you can be successful at anything. So let's, and so I translate that to our student-athletes. So let's sit in that space for a minute. You use the term growth mindset. It's obviously a term that's in the zeitgeist. It's incredibly meaningful for me. I learned about that concept a few years ago, and I realized that this is something that I've tried to execute on. You also mentioned Coach Wooden's important phrase about you know knowing that you've done the best work that you can, you can sleep well at night. That's the way I interpreted it, and it's, mm -hmm. it's been my sort of guiding light when I'm preparing for an examination, or I know that I'm going to have a difficult conversation with patients and their families, or whatever the case may be. How do we instill that when we're leading teams so that it doesn't come across as a platitude? that people say Miss Val is genuine and it's not because you have national titles. It's because they trust that, that you build those bonds. How does any leader take those things that they may read in a book or hear you say on a podcast and then go into their respective field and execute? We all want that. We all want exactly what you just described. It doesn't just happen in a vacuum. So what levers do we pull to actually execute? I think the first level lever that you pull is first thing in the morning, <clears throat> you wake up and, or I should say, I wake up and I go, oh my gosh, I get another day. Yeah. This is so cool. <laughs> and then the next thing I do is just take a moment to pause, to meditate, to pray, however you want to translate it. And just every morning I say, you know, I don't know what the day is going to bring me, but I'm going to make sure that in every moment I'm bringing my best. And if that is listening to someone, I'm going to silence my mind and really listen to them. If that is advising or guiding, I'm going to, again, be calm and quiet my mind so that I can receive the wisdom of what to share with that person. And making sure that my intentions are always to help make the situation better and make sure that my intentions are not coming from my ego. And in athletics, it's hard to do that because it's all about winning. And if you haven't won, then you have lost. It doesn't matter how, you know, we finished second quite a few times in my career by a quarter of a tenth, <laughs> oh, which is like the blink of an eye. But, yeah. oh, no, but you lost. Yeah, yeah. So the ego is very quick to get involved. And so it takes hitting the refresh button all day long on making sure that my actions are not being driven by my ego. 
And I think in any in any business, it's the same thing. You know, when you wake up in the morning, just make a commitment to yourself that you are going to go into every situation making it better than when when you left. When you leave, it's better than when you arrived. And quite often, that has to do with just shutting up and listening. I want to pair those two things together, this idea of wanting to be better and wanting to get better and the part around listening with a subject that I I want your expertise on. And that is when you have a teammate or someone that you're, uh, that you're leading, you're responsible to lead, who's going off the path, who is, who is sideways in whatever it may be, whether for you, maybe it's academics or it's disruptive behavior or any number of things where you say, I need to figure out how to bring this person back on board or we're going to have problems. In, in medicine, it's, you know, it's disruptive behavior, it's substance use disorder, it's physician burnout or depression. There's a whole array of things and our whole goal is to bring these people back into the fold, remediate, rehabilitate, and get them back where they want to be and where we want them to be. How do we pair those two things that you just talked about and other things, what is the skill bundle that you use with these extraordinary athletes when they're not lining up with that team culture that you work so hard to build? I don't mean to simplify the answer, and I don't. it may sound trite, and I don't mean it to be that at all. This is my honest-to-goodness answer that I have experienced over, I've been here 37 years. When you can get someone to open up, and talk, and when you listen, that's when you start changing behavior. When I have student athletes not going to class, or partying, or making poor decisions with boyfriends or girlfriends, or just doing, having behavior that is not healthy for them, and not helping them achieve their goals that they would like, I can talk to them all day long. It's not going to get them to change their behavior, and that's you know, one thing when I started analyzing that question that you just asked me years ago about how to change behavior, um, a lot of times coaches and parents feel that the best way to affect someone's behavior is by dictating to them what they have to do. That doesn't work. That makes people compliant. But that, like, I can tell my athletes, you have to go to class and you have to sit in the first three rows and you cannot have your phone out. But that doesn't mean that they're actually listening and learning anything. So I've I've realized very early on that the role of a coach is to not dictate change, but it's to motivate change. Mm. I want to motivate my student-athlete to go to class and actually pay attention. Why? I don't really care if you like the subject or not. You chose to take the class. So choose to pay attention because you know what? It's going to help you when you do the reading. You will have already heard it. It's going to help you when you meet with your TA to study or you meet with your tutor because you've already heard it. It's, it's one layer of studying. So it, in the long run, it's going to reduce your stress when it comes time to either write the paper or have, take the exam. It's going to reduce your stress tenfold if you'll just pay attention for the class that you chose to take. Nobody's making you take the class. You chose to take the class. So don't be an idiot by showing up and not paying attention. It's the same thing that I, you know, my freshmen, they have to be in study hall. 
and they think that it's a punishment. I'm like, it's not a punishment. <laughs> it's called helping you out with time management. Right. So if you're sitting in study hall pissed off with me and you choose not to study, you've just wasted two hours of your time. How stupid is that? Yeah, yeah. I I love this. And I would imagine that you've gotten feedback and probably had people ask for the same advice from a number of different fields and professions because it's hard work. You know, we don't want to, if I hire a physician to join my team, you know, and any doc who's in medical leadership will tell you retention is a primary objective. We work hard to onboard people properly. We want to retain them. We want them to have the career and the life that they have always envisioned. And when it doesn't go that way, it's a really big deal. I would imagine people solicit this advice from you all the time. They do. Yeah. And I just feel like, you know, there's no mystery here at all. I there's like no it. mystery yeah. to parenting. There's no mystery <laughs> to coaching. Yeah. Um, and quite often, it's so much easier just to make demands and dictate than it is to teach. Yeah. It's, it's much easier. It's much more time-consuming and emotionally draining to teach than it is to dictate. And that's why so many coaches just focus on the X's and O's because yeah. it's, it's too time-consuming. And who really cares? You know what? If I can teach, if I can tell my student-athlete to get her legs straight and because she's going to score higher, go do that. You know? And don't ask me why, just do it. Or I can instruct her and show her that when she gets her legs straight, it makes the skill not just prettier, but easier. And she's going to be higher, which means she's not going to crunch her ankles when she lands. And so it's going to be a win-win all the way around. So you teach why she's got to get her legs straight in the skill. When you're teaching it's not around, just because Ms. Val said so. When you're teaching around something like that, how much do you leverage the team component of saying, look, when you get your legs straight, you'll go higher, your ankles won't be sore, you'll perform better you will be a more integral part of this team that you want to be a part of. Is, does that have a role or does that absolutely. pull a lever of making them maybe feel guilty or something like that? No, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. I believe that one of the best things that sport teaches us is how to be a part of something greater than yourself. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. And, you know, we're all on this planet. We're supposed to be, we are connected. Don't know really what the master plan is. But we all need each other. And when you can be a great athlete and have that drive and that focus and that relentlessness to pursue excellence, but when you, when you take that to another level and you include the people around you and you make them better as well as lo along the same path that you're getting better, that's when a great athlete becomes a champion. So that's what I actually wanted to tease out with you next. We've spent some time on one side of the spectrum talking about working with our teammates who are struggling. <laughs> Let's go to the other side of you have on your team, however many roster spots you have, they are all filled with extraordinarily talented people. Any profession, it's the same deal. You recruit people who are really, really good, who've been through the mill, they are battle tested, and they come to you ready to roll. We want to add... 5%. We want to add 10%. We want to get them to another level that they may not even know that they have where they can really soar. You don't win seven national championships. 
You don't win 15 Pac-12 titles spread out over many years without being able to execute on that, without being able to help people reliably get to another level that they didn't know they could tap into. Let's spend some time with those levers. If I have a teammate who I know can get farther than they're going, and you've done this and you've got the resume to prove it, where are those levers to pull? Well, we talk a lot about iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And that's what champions do. And there's a, you know, there's a big difference between just being a great athlete and being a champion. Champions, like I said, make each other better. Mm. Um, and it reminds me of Rayford Johnson. Rayford oh, yeah. told me that in high school is when he really started realizing just how great he could be, exceptionally great. And in high school is when every single race, he always chose someone different to run that race for. And it was usually a family member who wasn't as fortunate as he was or blessed with the talent that he had. And he said as soon as he started running his races for someone besides himself, he hit a whole nother level. Wow. That he never anticipated. Yeah. So when you sit down with an athlete, and this is the work that I'll be doing when you and I are done with this conversation, and say, listen, you're here. You've got this incredible resume. You've, you, you, were, you were recruited by every college gymnastics team. You're an Olympian. Now you're on a team and we want to go win a national title. This is why you're at UCLA. We win championships at UCLA. Was it those sorts of levers? Was it those sorts of things that would get that athlete to say, I'm good. I'm really good. I've been an Olympian. I've been on TV. And yet I want more. Is that, How do we light that fire? We, I light the fire by my, like when people say, what do you do? I go, I develop superheroes. Oh, I love it. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> I develop superheroes through the sport of gymnastics. Oh, so good. Yeah. And so when I have an athlete come in as a freshman, she's good. She's really, really good. How am I going to get her to that next level? Right. To want to even be able to conceive of it and strive for it. And it, 100% of the time, has nothing to do with gymnastics. And it has everything to do with the choices that she's making in her life. And so when I can help an athlete, a student athlete, turn their life around where they understand that one decision that you make in your life is going to have numerous repercussions. And I use the example. I'm like, so it's 10 o'clock at night and you should be shutting down. So that because you know you've got to be in the training room tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And we start training at 7.30. So <clears throat> 10 o'clock, you got to start shutting down. And hot guy comes by your dorm and says, hey, let's, let's go to Westwood Village and get some in and out. And you really like hot guy. Well, if you go into Westwood Village with hot guy, you're not going to get enough sleep. You're probably going to add another 500 calories to your daily intake that you didn't really need. And you're going to wake up. You're going to be tired. So you're going to miss out on getting a substantial breakfast before you get to the training room at 6 a.m. So you're not going to have any fuel in you. You're tired, and you're going to have a not very good day in the gym. You're also setting yourself to possibly get injured. And then right from there, you're going to run to class, and you're tired, and you're hungry, and you're upset with yourself because you had a bad day in the gym, so you're really not paying attention in class. And it's this vicious cycle that lasts the whole day because you made one choice of going into Westwood with Hot Guy instead of going to bed. And 
And life happens the other way as well. You can reverse that cycle by saying, no, hot guy, you know what? Let's set a time on Saturday to go hang out. I'm going to bed. And the cycle reverses. And so I honestly have found it takes about a year and a half for them to to really realize that everything they do in life is a choice and every choice they make is going to have numerous repercussions. And they can choose to have a healthy, happy, satisfying life. And when they realize that, the cool part is once once you take ownership of that, you can no longer be a victim in life. Mm. You can no longer say, I didn't get a good grade because my teacher didn't like me. You, you own it. And when, getting back to your original question, how I take an athlete from good to great and great to excellent has nothing to do with gymnastics. It has to do with fueling them and making them feel invincible as a human being. And that translates then to their gymnastics. When I hear you talk, I, I just I get so fired up. I love it because the results speak for themselves, but it's also the character of the athletes that come out of UCLA and the character of the people that you've worked with. That's the stuff that also speaks volumes. And I wonder too, though, with these skill bundles around discipline and focus, you've been very open and transparent about your own personal journey, not just as a successful coach, but you were diagnosed with breast cancer in 2014. You are cancer free now. And you were very open about it on a YouTube interview and in your own book as someone who had to step through that extraordinary life obstacle and the fear and anxiety and frustration and pain and all of the things that come along with a cancer diagnosis like that, were those same levers applicable for you or did you have to reach into other places to move through that? Mm, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, so like I said, I didn't grow up as an athlete. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I got diagnosed in June of 2014. And um, at that moment, it hit me. It was like, okay, everything I have been preaching and coaching and teaching for these last, I don't know, 30 years, it's now time to walk the walk. So when I talk about being resilient and talk about being courageous and being courageous and having courage is, is taking that step confidently without any guarantee of a result. So I had to start walking. You got to say that again. That is, can you restate that? That's just incredible. Courage is, I don't remember what I said, but courage, when, when you talk about being courageous, it's about taking the step confidently without any guarantee of a result. Oh, I love it. So I got the call that I had a very aggressive form of breast cancer. I hung up the phone and whether you and your listeners translate this to the universe speaking to me or cosmic energy or God, I heard very clearly be anxious for nothing and grateful for all things. And I didn't know where it came from. I felt it was God speaking to me, and I thought it was very odd how I was not supposed to be anxious. I'd just gotten told I had a potentially fatal disease. And I went home, and I told my husband about having an aggressive form of breast cancer. And then I told him what I heard, be anxious for nothing and grateful for all things. And he said, it's from the Bible. 
I had never read the Bible. So I went to the Bible, I looked it up, and sure enough, in Philippians, it says, be anxious for nothing, and then paraphrased, and grateful for all things, and my world stopped. I had heard this before I ever read it. This was a commandment. And like I coach my athletes and teach my athletes every single thing we do in life is a choice, I could choose to obey or not obey. So I chose to obey, but I didn't know how I was going to obey and not be anxious. And I went to my doctor the next day, and I'll never forget, she looked at me with a smile on her face, which I thought was odd. And she said, had you gotten diagnosed 10 years earlier, we had absolutely nothing for you. And if you choose, there's that word again, if you choose to get chemotherapy for a year and surgery, I know it's going to work. And at that moment, I understood the commandment of how I was not going to be anxious was through gratitude. I didn't have to get chemotherapy. I got to get chemotherapy because I live at a time that has the chemo. And switching that one word, have to, to get to, has changed every moment of my life since then. I don't have to go to work. I get to go to work. And on and on. I have chills. I love it. It's just, that's just amazing. And, now, as you're moving through that space, you're still coaching, right? You're still, you've still got recruits coming to visit. You've still got mm-hmm. seniors who want to graduate. You've got athletes who want to be all Americans and everybody wants to go and win another, win another national title. Mm-hmm. How transparent were you with your teammates? And this is a, this is an obstacle for all leaders, right? How much do we share with the people we're responsible for when we are going through a period of challenge? How, what was your decision-making process around sharing with your, with your athletes, with your, with your coaching staff, with the athletic director? What was that like for you in terms of moving through that ground by yourself or building a support network around your teammates and your, and your athletes? I have always had a very strong philosophy of transparency. Yeah. And just like we were talking about a few minutes ago, you know, we're all connected in this world for a reason. Yeah. None of us go through life without heartache and tragedy in our life. None of us. It's part of life. That's why this and podcast exists. For we're us all to be able to share with each other yeah. how to go through the hard times and make it a little easier is, is I feel, our duty as just to humanity. And so the only other time I had ever dealt with cancer was 25 years prior. My mom had died a horrible, horrible, horrible death of colon cancer. Mm. And we didn't talk about it in the house. I didn't know if I should ask questions or not. My mom didn't talk about it. My dad didn't. Nothing. And so I thought, I remember feeling like just so lost. I didn't know how I was supposed to feel. I didn't know if it was okay for me to feel a certain way. So I did the exact opposite. And I came and I told our team. And I told them, I said, you know what, you guys? I'm telling you all this because I know I'm going to be fine. And you're going to go through life and you're going to have either someone in your life, your family or yourself that's going to be told you have cancer someday. And I don't want you to think of it as big, scary cancer with a capital C. It can be little, little C because we live thankfully in a time that we can, we can hope. And so as I'm talking to them, I'm noticing that they were looking at my breast. <laughs> so I went, okay, let's take this a step further. I said, do you guys want to feel what, what a malignant tumor feels like? Because as a young woman, we're told what to feel, what to, to look for, 
And we're told it's going to feel like a small round pea. And mine felt like it was on the side of my breast. It felt like a long pulled muscle. So you detected so, yours through self-breast examination? Yes. Wow. I had pain on my left side of my my left breast, but the tumor was in my right breast. So I don't even know what that's all about. Hmm. But I found it, but it didn't feel like a small round P. Yeah. It sounded like I had done 600 push-ups. And so one by one, they came up and were feeling the side of my breast and that my brain was going crazy with sirens. Like HR is going to come down here and fire <laughs> <your> ass, Valerie. <laughs> but I didn't care. This was yeah. such an amazing teaching moment. Yep. I didn't care. This was more important. Sharing this with, with the student athletes was more important. Um, I came in the gym four days after I had a double mastectomy and I had tubes still coming out of my breasts and I wore a black poncho and I just told them, I said, you know what? I'm not going to show you because it's kind of gross looking, but please don't hug me, but I feel fine. And it was so great to have these young women go through the entire experience so that when something happens with them or her family, they'll be able to look back on that and go, you know what? I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to think the worst. I can have hope and believe it's all going to be okay and have courage to step through whatever I've got to go through without any guarantee of the result, like I said, but having faith it's going to be okay. I, I actually called going to chemo as my chemo spa because I was, <laughs> I was hell-bent on putting a positive spin on yeah. every part of it. Yeah. And now with your coaching legacy being as long as it is the number of years that you've had, I would imagine you've probably had former athletes reach back to you in any number of capacities, still asking for input, still asking for advice, probably helping them step through their own medical challenges. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've never been a parent, but um, I imagine one of the greatest gifts that, that a parent can receive or a coach can receive is when someone that they have tutored or mentored looks to them for counsel or men mentorship. And so when any of my alumni or current athletes come to me with things that have nothing to do with gymnastics, it just makes my heart sing because I'm of value to them. I think we all want to be of value to people. Well, let me help amplify that a little bit. I met you 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. I remembered you this whole time. I'm a board certified physician. I'm a physician leader. I host a podcast. I wanted to speak with you because I wanted to learn from you. It was not because you're famous. It was not because you have national championships. It was because I wanted to learn from you. So your reach is very wide. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You have a book. Came out I last do. year. Life is short. Don't wait mm -hmm. to dance. The cover is awesome. Thank you. Is this part of you moving into another phase of life? Is this part of you? You're young. You're healthy. Yep. It's good to go. You're not going to be yeah. a UCLA head coach anymore, but there's work to be done. What does that work look like? A lot of speaking engagements. Yeah. I think I've had six in the last five days. Oh, no. You just, yeah. The season just finished 45 minutes ago. It did, yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of speaking, and I speak a lot. Um, I love finishing my speaking with a call to parents and coaches, anyone that, that is overseas children, um, mentors children, raises children, develops them into, like I said, superheroes. 
we really need to do a better job in supporting them and learning how to challenge them without putting the stress on them to have to be perfect, to get into the perfect college, Mm. to get the perfect SAT. And all of the studies have come back proving that our younger generation is under more stress and reporting more, more stress, more depression, and unfortunately more suicide than ever in the history of man. And that's on us. And so as I love speaking to parents and just say, let's start changing our vocabulary of how we talk to our children when we drop them off for sports and when we pick them up. And there has to be a safe space. The house is a safe space. You don't talk about sports in there. Don't ever ask them if they won. Ask them about their intention. Did they, did they play hard? Did they help a teammate? Were they respectful? What did they learn today? Ask those questions. And I feel like we all need to be reeducated and to develop a new culture, especially through the world of athletics, um, which I've been in for so long. We, we need to change that. Um, so I'm doing that. I'm also going back to my roots. I'm hopefully developing and producing an urban nutcracker. I danced nutcracker for 15 years. I'm excited to, to blend Tchaikovsky with the street performance arts. And um, I am hopeful to get a course on John Wooden here at UCLA and any mm-hmm. other university that would like one. And so I've got a lot to do. You have a and lot to do. I'm excited. Like you said, I'm not retiring. I'm simply moving out of coaching gymnastics at UCLA so that I can have another career. That's right. We're going to want to follow that other career. So the book is widely available. As yes. people want to track, if they want they want the book, they want to track the work that you're doing, how do they find you? How do they find you on social media? How do they find you online? My website is officialmissfowl.com and the book is Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. And it, I, I got to tell you a funny little story. About four months before it was published, I I contacted uh, my co-author and I said, I'm, I can't publish this book. He knows why. <laughs> I said, because people are going to read it and they're going to think they're going to clean all this wisdom from the seven-time national championship coach and they're going to read it and they're going to read all my unorthodox, non-traditional ways of coaching and they're going to think I'm a total whack job. <laughs> and he looked at me so seriously. He says, "Miss Val, you are a whack job. But you, you have to write the book and publish it to give all of us permission to own our inner whack job. Legit. And oh, like, I love it. Totally. Okay. Good. I'll publish the book. That's and it's right. a bestseller. I'm happy to report as it so. should be it's awesome thank you yeah thank there's you. no question it's funny though because when i connected with you originally it was i want to you know talk some leadership i want to talk about these other things but i'm also a new dad my boy's almost three he's a Aww. already a great athlete he's a great runner he loves basketball he loves tennis he loves it all and building that dialogue building that milieu of him loving sports like his mom and his dad did like his family does like i'm sure Uh his friends will but loving it because it's fun competing because we love to compete being with friends helping his friends do that part really resonates for me and and that is something that i think i hope as part of your next journey is going to be both very meaningful and very widespread because that is very very resonant Uh i hope i hope it is because i feel it's it's important we need to take better care of our children's uh, mental and emotional health. You took care of UCLA Bruins for many, many years. You won Thank titles. You. You're an incredible leader. You have amazing work yet to do. I cannot wait to continue to follow along. 
If you want to wait 22 years to come back on the podcast, we can wait 22 years. If you want to come back sooner, you are welcome anytime. Coach Val, this was an honor. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. And let's do it again in like six months. Anytime you want, you let me know. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.